I know what your favourite book is. What's my favourite book? Everything. My stepmother likes reading books. Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Kit Power, horror author and podcaster. Hello, what have you been up to recently? Hi Ali, it's so good to be talking with you. Um, it's lovely At to last! see you. I know it's we've we've been planning this for a long time, and um, we've been—I mean, we've been friends for years, but we yeah. see each other comparatively rarely at cons and stuff. And obviously, with COVID, it's been quite a while. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's a real delight to be catching up with you. Um, I've been—I've had a few ups and downs recently. I've got to be honest, but I've—I've I've had a couple of fairly major ups in the last couple of weeks. I just found out that. The second volume of My Life in Horror, which is my non-fiction series for Ginger Shots of Horror, is nominated for a British Fantasy Award uh, under non-fiction, which is absolutely extraordinary. Um, If you told me this time last year when I was sweating my way through the Kickstarter for the book to try and get it finished. (laughs) um, Oh, that's so good because I love the first volume. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I I was I was absolutely astonished genuinely i mean i know people always say that but it really was i was actually shocked um because mm. I, I did rush to get the book out in december but um this year especially early this year has been so eventful it kind of dropped off my radar mm, completely yeah. and I, I really had no time to think about it so to know that enough people in the community enjoyed it to to put the name forward for the for the nomination is um kind of it's really moving actually and oh, it's, it's wonderful I think you know writing is such a lonely thing it's such a vote of confidence um mm. when when things like that happen and uh, obviously I got a nomination a couple of years ago for a novella of mine so to have been nominated now for fiction and non-fiction feels very special um very kind of I am proud of that um obviously but also yeah. moved so yeah um and what else are we doing I'm working on what am I working at the moment I'm working on a th- so I'm working on a novella or novel. I haven't decided. It depends how long the story runs. But I'm working on my third of a Milton Keynes Apocalypse trilogy. So that'll be fun. Oh, brilliant! Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had we had uh, the finite, which was about nuclear arm again. Then we had a song for the end, which was about a piece of music that ends the world in an interesting way, or at least changes it in a very dramatic way. Yeah. And this one's called Millionaire's Day, but I can't say too much about it because it's it's only about ten thousand words in. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and I'm working on non- on nonfiction as well. And I've got a new podcast series I just started with one of my best friends in the world, James Murphy, where we're going through Springsteen's albums in order. Oh, how fabulous! Oh, you have to send me all those awesome. details. Yeah, I'll sure. The show sure. Notes. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Oh, that's fab. So is is writing this is on the back burner for the moment, or 
Right up, Liz. Uh, we had to take a hiatus. Uh, RJ was having a couple of health issues and I was having some challenging yeah. personal stuff going on as well. But no, Right Up, Liz will be back. Season, actually, this is this might even be an exclusive for you, Ali. Season four, I think, of Right Up, Liz will be starting uh, in September, early September. Yeah, we've. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm really thrilled. It, that show has been. It's odd. I do a lot of podcasting work and I love it, but there's something about doing a live show. Even oh, it's though so it's, fun. Yeah, absolutely. Even though yeah. it's online live and it's just, it's audio only, but still having that commentary from the people mm. listening and the text chat and the interaction. And there is a real sense of community there that's built mm. over the years. Um, I've missed, I've missed those people and I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really glad that we're able to get back to doing it again. So yeah, that, oh, it, it I'm was, really yeah. excited about that. Thank I you. love Rytopolis. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's, I'm that's very rarely able to join like, you know, during the, during sure, the, the live show, I love yeah. listening to it afterwards. It's just the chaos of it is, is <laughs> so fun. Yeah. And everyone, yes, absolutely. <laughs> everyone involved, you know, your listeners and everybody, they're just, it's such a laugh. So, yeah. Yeah. And I really yeah. would being on there as well as yeah, really oh, yes. You know, you're fabulous and you must come back on. Um, but well, what have you been up to, Ali, anyway? What have you been doing? Um, well, it's obviously it's the summer holidays <laughs> so i just mm -hmm. come back from holiday actually that was nice mm. been to devon um but yeah i'm i'm in the correction stages of my uh of my phd thesis wow so hopefully come february i'll be oh dr ali oh That's congratulations awesome. but this is also an exclusive <laughs> um i'm going to be a keynote speaker at a conference on Francis Harding. Oh, wow. Oh, check you out. I know. It's not going to be Fantastic. until 2026, but everybody, please do watch this space because Frances Harding is, is, she's amazing. She's one of my favourite authors ever. She's a lovely person. And um, she writes the most delightfully creepy um, young adult <laughs> books so yeah I, I bet your daughter was is your daughter a Frances Harding fan uh not yet but give her five minutes oh, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. she will be <laughs> yeah yeah their books are just yeah oh, okay. I, I think if I'd if I'd been between I don't know I'd say 12 and 14 yeah. now yeah I'd have been over that like a cheap suit I was I was a spooky girl right so, like I loved spooky girl but sure and yeah mm. I know well I'm, I'm just looking just looking at the book covers and titles alone yeah we're gonna have to check this out me and kiddo this looks great do it uh, yeah 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 no absolutely nice. actually talking about that it's a bit of a this year's this last couple of weeks has been a bit of a red letter week for me because um kiddo is reading her first Stephen King novel <laughs> at age 13 yeah oh the perfect age what what's she yeah. reading? well I had to think about it because I um I it's an interesting thing like I think about this quite a lot as a horror like I read so much of this stuff at a wildly unsuitable age and even though I wouldn't change that for the world I did feel very conscious when I became a parent I didn't want to inflict anything on yes. that she wasn't ready yeah. for um and kids grow at their own pace and also you have to wait until they're ready for it but um so I I gave her the um, the girl that loved Tom Gordon because I think it's really it is scary, scary as hell actually. Yes, but I think it's 
I don't know. I just, I, I really like it. I think it's a really, of his kind of mid to late career output. I think it, I mean, it's a very rare Stephen King novel in that it's short, um, yeah. which is unusual for him, mm. especially recently. But I think it's, I don't know. I think it's quite moving. I think it's quite touching mm. as well as being scary as hell. And I think I love the character work in it. Um, I think, I mean, I think King's amazing at that. Maybe one of the things he's best at. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought, and it's just not, it's scary as hell, but it's not super gross out, you know. Mm. And so the the and the kind of there is adult content, but it's very appropriate. I mean, it's, it kind of is YA, I suppose, in that sense. I think like it's pitched not intentionally, maybe, but it effectively ends up coming out towards the high end of YA anyway. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I think that about Carrie as well, actually. Yeah, I Carrie when I was about twelve, which was okay. possibly a little bit too young, <laughs> but yeah, I, I it's still. I mean, like I have a really visceral memory of reading it but you know when I was 12 I was switching between reading um Jackie Collins right Stephen King right and boarding school stories sure so yeah he was all over the place but yeah yeah I don't know though I think there's a thing about being a kid I think that there's there's a there's there's a right age to be too young I can't quite put my finger on it but it's something that I've worked a lot I worked out a lot of when I was doing my life in horror, that series, it was that thing of like, I was too young to be watching this. I was too young to be reading this, but actually that was why it was so important. That was why it was so powerful. That's why it was so game changing. And actually I wasn't really too young. I was kind of the right age, but part of being the right, it's that thing about being stretched. I think it's that thing about, Mm. you know, um, comfort zones and boundaries and all that stuff. And of necessity, especially when it comes to horror, those things are porous to the personal. They they vary from person to person anyway. It would yeah. it makes putting age ratings on, especially on fiction, almost impossible, even if you wanted to, which let's not. But but I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I reflected on it a lot, obviously, when I was writing that, but then it suddenly became a live exercise when kiddo came along. It was like, oh right, yeah. So I, I'm now responsible <laughs> for well, this. Yeah, but I, I think that there are some things that just go over your head when you're a child. Mm, like yeah, there are something yeah. like words. I I mm. mean I am one of those people that says a lot of words wrong because I've never heard them in real life. I just right. kind of yeah, yeah. pronounce them because, you know, I I think I know how to say it, but maybe yeah. I don't. Um, and then there's that uh, that thing of like, in my in your head or in my head, I just think maybe I'll understand that when I'm a bit older. Maybe right. I don't need to worry about that right now. Yeah. I'll put it when I'm older. But also I think in the pre-internet age, when mm. you couldn't stop and look stuff up, yeah, you just had to go with it, really. Absolutely. You had to go with the flow. And, you know, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you know what's funny about that? You just reminded me of it's like conversations I've had with, uh, with kiddo or even with my missus where – you know, one of them has asked me what a word means. And I'm in this incredible position of, I know exactly what the word means and I cannot articulate it at all because I've learned it in context. I've yeah. used it in context. It it means what it means. It is that word. And actually when I'm trying to translate that into something else, I find that really hard to do. It's really mm. interesting. Um, you, and, I, you know, and I think some of it may be that same learning you're talking about, right? Well, it's a bit like, you know, Tiffany Aching in the first um the We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. Right. Know that, but yeah. 
I've no, I've not read that one yet. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, so so Tiffany, yo, your your kid would love it. Yeah. So Tiffany re- has there's only a few books in her house. Right. Which is a farmer. She lives in a, a farm right. in, in the world, the disc world. Yeah. So yeah. in her in her farmhouse kitchen, there's um a book of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. There's uh a book about looking after sick sheep. Um, right, yeah, and yeah. there's a dictionary and there's an almanac. Okay. So like she doesn't have a lot to read, but she has read the dictionary, starting right. with A and yeah. going to Z. Nice. So she knows a lot of words. She's yeah. not entirely sure, you know, but nobody has ever told her that's not how you read a dictionary. So she does it. Right. So at the beginning of the book, she's lying on the bank of a river mm. trying to tickle trout and thinking of the word susurrus. Right. And then all of a sudden there is a susurrus in the in the in the reeds of the of the river. Right. And then, you know, hilarity ensues. Right. But yeah, that that's it it was very delightful to me to mm. read that and think, um, yeah. <laughs> I'd have done that too. I'd have. I. I used to collect words. I really like. Yeah. And my favorite word ever remains meander. I think that's oh, a yeah. lovely word. That is yeah. That's yeah. a choice word. Yeah, it just describes meandering. The whole yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's almost onomatopoeic, isn't it? Or it feels yeah. like it is. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely word. So thinking back on on our uh, childhood reading. Yes. You chose a book that I kept thinking was the wrong book, but then I eventually worked <laughs> out. Well, you told me I was thinking of the wrong book. You chose book one of the Tripods Quartet, which is The White Mountains by John Christopher. And I have a very beautiful current. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Penguin. There's that, that's the that's the current Penguin release, is it? Mm. A, oh, what a beautiful cover. Isn't Love it gorgeous? Mm. Yeah, it's green and graphic and lovely, and it is mm. on Instagram, and I will put a link <laughs> to the Instagram photo of it in the show notes. So um, I don't ever remember reading this book, which right. is astonishing, astonishing mm. to me. Um, my husband read it. Right, um, okay. He read it at school, but, you know, for some reason I didn't. Right. I mean, maybe I was supposed to, and I just... <laughs> Didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So can you summarise the plot of it? Yeah, so it, it's fairly... It, I, the plot's interesting because it's deceptively simple. simple. I mean, in, in mm. one way, it's a kind of succinct uh, retread of... Um, well, there's elements of there's elements of of um, Frodo's journey certainly in Lord of the Rings, I feel. So mm. basically, you've got, uh, you've got a young boy whose name is Will. He's coming of age, and it's... The, it, the setup is the society feels uh, rural and kind of um, pre-industrial. Um, there's this whole thing about his father's the only person, I think the only person in the village who owns a watch and he has to have it wound every sort of year or so. And that's a very, very big deal. So you get this early impression that there's that the society is kind of 
um technological but you know like its technology is very kind of stripped back and it's very kind of you know it's a rural farm community anyway but you discover that when you come of age (laughs) this is and it's so lovely so basically when you hit puberty whether you're male or female what happens is a tripod turns up and they're like i can't remember how tall they're meant to be 50 or 100 foot these gigantic um three-legged machines very reminiscent of war of the worlds which is Mm. another childhood uh favorite of mine or at least the 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 jeff wayne version Mm, uh, was certainly i didn't i didn't read the wells until i was much older but um so the imagery was was that and then you're taken up into the tripod like a tentacle comes out of the dome pulls you up when you come back down you are capped which means something metal is inserted into your brain and um you spend the rest of your life living your life quite happily very happy that the tripods run the world and everything's great mm. um and our young man will is starting to have doubts about whether or not he wants to be capped his best friend is capped and suddenly becomes a stranger to him and he's becomes concerned and then he meets uh an old man very this is very similar to kind of the gandalf bit in mm. the hobbit i guess where um who is uh, ostensibly has been driven mad by being capped, which happens to about one in 10 people. And they are called vagrants and they are mm. tolerated and cared for by communities, but they tend to wander around a lot and, you know, talk to themselves. But this guy actually isn't a, he isn't a vagrant. He's a free man. He's wearing a fake cap. And he says, yes, the tripods are bad news, but there are free men actually. And you don't have to be capped. You can instead go to the white mountains where the free people mm. live and uh, join the resistance basically um and and from then it's a travel log really will decides to go his um interest i was gonna say his best friend is not his best friend his his enemy really in the village a young man of the same age uh, ends up Henry, who's his Henry, cousin his cousin yeah ends up coming with him um i mean basically ends up kind of bullying will into taking him says basically i'm gonna dob you in if you don't take mm-hmm. me because i don't want to go either um they take a ferry to france they meet uh they meet someone there, a kid called Jean Paul, who they named Beanpole because they can't speak French. He is a very bright lad who's made his own glasses, which is not something that, you know, mm. so we again the storytelling's clever because you learn what technology exists and what doesn't as you go on, and you learn that, that basically humanity is being kept in a state of arrested development by mm. by whatever the tripods are. There's an amazing section where they go through, I think, a ruined Paris, which has clearly yes. been destroyed by some great uh, great war um and they walk and through the metro they do oh this point. one of my favorite sequences i actually wrote so i wrote about the tripods trilogy for um ginger Lots of horror for my life in horror series because i had to because it was a tv show that i saw mm. when i was a kid which is why i picked up the book so um yeah so it was a very influential um piece of fiction for me for that reason but yeah this i, I talk about the scene in the metro because there's a wonderful moment in there there's a writing technique where Will describes finding this arms cache inside the metro train and you, the reader, understand that what he's holding in his hand is a grenade and he doesn't because he doesn't know what a grenade is. Mm. So it's a really skillful piece of writing where... Very scary. It's incredibly scary because then what he does is just pulls the pin out and stares at the grenade waiting for something to happen. And it's it's a wonderful... I mean, I remember remember finding that on the reread and just being absolutely... I mean, as a kid, I would have just enjoyed the moment for its yeah. own sake as a heart stopping moment. But coming to it as a with adult eyes and as a writer now, there's actually a really powerful writing lesson there about one of the ways you can deliver an incredible, you know, powerful tension with the reader is when the reader knows more than the character does. Yes. And that cuts against a lot of what your instincts often are when you're writing stuff like horror and thrillers and fantasy, where you want you want the the frisson to come from the reader 
being surprised and unknown. So it was a really powerful lesson to me reading that and being like, oh yeah, actually you can you can really knock someone's socks off by creating a situation where it's the character who's who's ignorant rather than the reader. Yeah, the reader is going, no, don't yes. do that. <laughs> so what are you doing? Let go. And I, I can't remember how it was. I think someone makes him jump and he accidentally yes, drops, he drops it, it. And, it mm. and it rolls under the train, right? And then a couple mm. of seconds later, there's this God Almighty explosion. <laughs> but it's, oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Anyway, and then uh, they take a couple of the grenades with them. And but and a lot of it from then is it is traveling. Oh, no, of course, there's a whole thing where he falls in love, right? There's that whole thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, he falls in love and then she gets capped and that's very sad. And then um, he ends up with his two friends and they, I don't know, do we do spoilers? I guess we do spoilers, don't we? We're going to have to. So spoilers, they make it to the White Mountains. There's a wonderful confrontation right at the end of the tripod. And yes, it is uh, is Chekhov's hand grenade. It does get thrown into the tripod in the last act. Uh, Will is saved and... Oh, there's a wonderful, gruesome bit of field surgery as well, where he discovers that a tripod is bugged in by fitting a, a graft of a metal thing to his leg, and he has to cut it out, which is just yeah. ah, wonderfully like gruesome. Boring. I mean, it's age appropriate, but it's yeah. it's brilliantly done, isn't it? Yeah, lovely like sequence. The Terminator. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, that's it, and then they make it to the White Mountains, and it is. It's interesting. You said it was there were there were four books in the series. I know it as a trilogy. I've never read the fourth book, so I don't know no. how that goes. But um, I, I I think of it very much as book one of of, of the original trilogy. But it's a lovely ending too, because it's not really. They just kind of. I mean, they make it to Mount Doom, right? But that's not the end of the story. That's really the beginning. Mm. You know, they're setting up the 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 second half of the narrative. So yeah, if you think about like, if you think about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm. and there's an awful lot of walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is the walking bit, but actually, there's a lot more that happens, and there's mm. no Tom Bombadil and no poetry, which makes it better. You know, every <laughs> it's way. better for me, certainly. I yeah, uh, you yeah. know, mileage varies, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a very classic hero's journey mm. story, yeah, I agree. and a lot of young adult fiction is. And it might seem a bit hackneyed to adult mm-hmm. readers, but young readers are coming to this as their first as their first experience. Yeah. So they don't know it's there's tropes and maybe the tropes sure. are too familiar for experienced readers and so on and so forth. But I uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think had I read this when I was about 13 or 14, I think I'd have loved it. Mm. I really do. It's uh, it the the storytelling of it. I think is super tight. Yeah, I agree. So, when did you first read it? What do you first remember about reading it? So, I'm pretty sure I was. I would have been ten or eleven, no older than that. I may have even been nine. I so there was a TV adaptation of the yeah, White which I missed for some reason. Yeah, um, it ran. I think it ran. Uh, I should have looked this up. I think it ran during the the first Doctor Who hiatus, so not not the big one, not the not the cancellation. Mm-hmm. But there was a break between Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy. Yes, and I'm I'm pretty sure it ran in that slot. Ooh. I'm pretty sure it ran in the Doctor Who slot at some point because um, I think it was the BBC. I'm fairly um, sure it's on YouTube. Yeah, I shouldn't I should not be guessing. I should have looked this up. I do apologize. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's my memories. The 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 credit sequence was incredible. It was this 
the the soundtrack and it was a very simple i mean especially by today's sound it's very simple i think computer graphics it might even have been or it might have been an animation but it was very very smooth clean lines but it was just the word tripods and you you were traveling through the words they were a 3d image and you were traveling through the letters you didn't know what they were and then it zooms out at the end classic oh. it, it was a classic kind of bit of bbc tuppence hakeney made to look like a million bucks I mean, it was just great um, and it really hit my kid imagination, the font that they use, the color scheme, lots of green. Um, and the tripods themselves, as I say, they they evoked War of the Worlds, which was actually one of my very earliest memories is sitting with the gatefold edition of the vinyl version of Jeff Wayne's War of the World open on my lap while listening to the, mm. the record of the story and Richard Burton's wonderful kind of rolling, you know, narration and all that. So um, to me, it tied back to like, you know story before i even knew what story was so i was always gonna be interested in it and then i found the paperback that the trilogy was republished as a paperback obviously mm. they understood the market you know penguin knew what they were doing it yes. was on the telly so let's put out a let's put out a cheap paperback version of the trilogy i picked that up you know a photo of the cast on the front and i i read that sucker seven or eight times i think cover to cover in my so i i would revisit it like most years i'd revisit it at least once it's so readable it's it reminds me of um the pro star reminds me of terence Dix, who did the the target the yes. Doctor Who target novelization i mean mm -hmm. he did the show as well but mm. it's so many of those target novelizations it has that same just ruthless efficiency uh there's yeah. not there's not a wasted word he gets to the point he's i think he's very good at john christopher is very good at this that, that the character sketches uh, he can give you a paragraph, maybe 50 words, maybe 100, and you know the person yeah. that that he's describing. And it's it's like 90% trope and then a single sentence of telling detail that makes them individual. That's I mean, this stuff is not it's not complicated, but it it's not nothing either. It requires a certain amount of talent and panache to 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 pull off and to pull off successfully. Yeah. Um in the um there's a foreword by him in my edition. Uh, okay where he describes the process of writing it. So because basically he was he was an established SF author mm. by the time he, he wrote this. Yeah. He got very well known for oh gosh, what's it called? The Death of Grass. Yes, okay. Yeah. That okay. was like his big first success. And a publisher approached him and said, or or maybe his agent approached him and said, mm you should write a juvenile. And he was like, oh, all right then. How <laughs> long is that going to take? Mm, maybe a month. Right. But he just sat down and bashed it out, bashed out the basic story. Sure. Sent it off. And his American agent came back and said, uh-uh, it's not good enough. Or maybe he was an American mm. editor. Came right. Back and said, not good enough. And so he sort of went, okay, I'll do it again. Bashed it out. British editor said, yeah, sure. American agents uh, editor said, uh-uh, not good enough. Uh. So he actually, I think, so he actually sat down and had a meeting with right. his American editor who told him how to write for young adults. Oh, and okay. he did it. And I right. really like that because yeah. it's like, well, he says in the in the introduction, actually, writing for young people, very hard. Yeah. Very hard to do it well. Yeah. And that I think is delightful. Yeah. Because I think that's probably true. Yeah. To write not like 
you know, there's many, many people who write for children who maybe aren't that. <laughs> but I'm not saying anything, David Williams. But um, there's, you know, it, doing it well and and doing it in a way that's going to last Yes, is yeah. really incredible. Because this book, I think I'm right in saying it was first published in 1966, but I'm going to check. It was first, oh, 1967. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was first published in paperback in 1970. So, yeah, right. it's it's been, a, you know, it's a book that's been in print for 50 years. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and I, I really, I think that's, that's pretty amazing. One of the things I really liked while reading it was it was making me think about a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction that I read. Right. Zed for Zachariah and, sure. you know, books like that that I read when I was in my teens, you know, like mm-hmm. 1970s, 1980s, post-apocalyptic fiction. Yeah. It also, it reminded me, on the one hand, of Ridley Walker, by um, Russell Hoban, okay, which is one of my favourite books ever, and that's a, that's okay. about like a post nuclear event where yeah. ever you know basically um, technology has been completely destroyed and it's gone back to like you know feudal days. Okay, yeah, yeah that kind yeah. of thing. Also, the Weathermongers by Peter Dickinson. But also, it really made me think of the invasion of the body snatchers. Right. Yeah. And that kind of red scare thing. Mm. And it, I'm kind of thinking, you know, this is probably on the cusp of red scare. Yeah. We're all going to be invaded by the Russians. Yeah. But also leaning towards the nuclear event. Yeah. Type absolutely. Novels. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder kind of how how that have fitted in with your experience of of reading post apocalyptic mm. It's really interesting. Um I it's funny as a kid, I'm not sure how much apocalyptic fiction I really engaged with as a kid. I like I mean, I started reading I started reading adult horror very, very young. I started right. I mean I'd mm. I'd read this, I think I mean I must have been nine or ten when I read this this book but by the time i was 11 i'd read stephen king's it and that kind of changed everything for me um yes (laughs) yes. um yes um so 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 following that i kind of and the thing is i think as well once i for me it was like throwing a switch once i'd engaged with something of of that caliber it was Mm. like well why would i want to do anything else so a lot of a lot of the kind of ya and children's fiction that i would read dropped off it's actually it's quite telling that the tripods is one of the few books that survived that transition and i would still mm. go back to in the same way i would go back to those um target paperbacks the terence sticks target paperbacks um so clearly there was something in there that resonated with me you saying that having said all that though the other big childhood memory i have of, of apocalyptic fiction actually is when the wind blows which is the yes. Raymond briggs mm. um I actually, I actually found the the copy that I read as a child in my father's house recently, um, which set off a, 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 a complicated series of memories. I think it's yeah. fair to say it's pretty intense because uh, that uh, when the wind blows is uh, that was scarring. I mean, I know no other way to put it. Yeah, 
So um, not for young children. No, no, no. You, you should have to be at least in your, I think, 50s before you're allowed to read <laughs> that thing. It's just terrifying. Um, and I think, so I think that that was probably one of my major touch points for it. And I, it's interesting what you were saying about about where it is historically, because I think you're right. Obviously, it's post-Cuban Missile Crisis, mm -hmm. but there is still that. There is still that because the, the cap implies a kind of brainwashing, doesn't it? It implies yes. a kind of mind control. And that mm. feels coded as the kind of Soviet thing, I guess. And the whole thing with overlords at the same time as well, though, there's that kind of I do think it the other way it has echoes of the war of the worlds is that kind of there is a kind of anxiety of empire thing, I think. Mm. I mean, for me, it's quite telling that they they go that the humans, as you said, they kind of revert to a feudal society. Effectively, I mean, later in his travels, Will ends up in a castle. Right? There's a there's effectively a medieval jousting tournament and a you know a May Queen and all that kind of stuff. So there's 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 an indication that that's that's where things have you know that's where the tripods have moved things back to. Um, and I think, but I think at the same time, it's that thing of like. Because, you know, the way the War of the Worlds is very much about, it's almost like HGL sitting down and saying, hey, what would it feel like if someone came and did to us what we are doing to Africa, mm. basically, right? That's what War of the Worlds is, right? Mm. It's like, what if this unimaginable force with this incredible technology arrived on our shore and started blowing everything up? Um, it's really interesting. I think one of the things I love about the central idea of the tripods, why I keep coming back to it, is how it's it's already over. It, it It's already been lost and won, but yeah. I love how the it's not uh i mean there are obviously there's the ruined city but as a whole it's not a wasteland and the idea that the humans are being preserved it's almost like a theme park it's almost like it's almost like we're the robots in westworld you know yes. only it's medieval westworld you know it's the medieval land version of westworld um and i love all the kind of implications of that and that's all they really are in the first book i remember thinking about like so like why is that is it amusement are we pets are we mm. food because some people get taken and don't come back so what's that about um you know the, it, will's girlfriend gets taken off and taken into one of the cities so we know they have cities somewhere i think one of the things i really appreciate coming back to some of these stories is i love when though when fiction like this leaves spaces for your imagination to play it's no. intentional baiting ambiguity now in the, in the case of this book yes of course it's part of a trilogy and yes by the end of book three most of the questions you've asked have been answered but as a standalone novel and there's a thrill especially the first time you read it of i don't know what all of this stuff means mm. um i'm i'm, I'm and, I, and i think he does an incredible job and this is something that good writers do especially good YA writers do he made me feel clever as a kid reading it yes you know, I felt smart as a kid reading it because I'd worked out stuff that Will hadn't. And part of that was because I had information he didn't. And part of it was the skill of his storytelling. Mm -hmm. But it was done well enough that it actually made me feel like I'd worked something out. You know, like I was an active participant in the story. I was, you know, I was filling in the blanks. And that that's an incredible gift, I think. Um, yeah. And I'm not and sure how often that... that comes. I don't know. Yeah. I, th I like that because it does, like you say, that there's space, there's space left for ambiguity. Yep. There's space left for you to make your own mind up. Yeah. And to predict what might happen next. Yeah. And I, I really like that 
in I like novels that do that that have respect for their readers instead of thinking you know the the reader needs to have their hand held and walk through all of it mm. and um and I think there's a really delicate balance between making you want to know what's going to happen next and yeah. so not giving too much information away but also not leaving you feeling completely locked like I've got no idea what's going on here yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's incredible and it is the prose is mm. very sparse yep um it's in its first person point of view it's mm-hmm. told by will yep so we only know what will knows yeah and will is obviously a smart boy yeah there's a lot of information that he doesn't have yeah. that he can't tell us about he does he can't tell us why the tripods cape because he didn't know he right. can't tell us what the right. tripods are yep because he hasn't encountered them he's only yep. seen them at the capping event yep. and that's so clever yeah yeah. No, I agree. It's. I mean, that's that's choosing the voice is really smart there. You, you made me think of a couple of other things as well about this. I was talking about how the book made me feel clever. One of the ways it made me feel clever was, and it. it I remember this so strongly because it happened so, at some point in the White Mountains where I realised, I realised Will actually was kind of not an uncomplicated hero. He was mm. kind of a bit of a bully yes. and a bit of a brat and a bit selfish and a bit... Mm. And it, it was it was it was amazing because I think up to that point, I'd always assumed that the person telling me the story was the hero. Mm. And obviously he is the hero of his own story. As far as he's concerned, he's the hero. Definitely. But there was it was that level of sophistication as a as a child reading it and being like, oh, wait a minute. This guy is actually he's he's kind of a bit of an arsehole, really, at times. He is, because there's that point where he assumes that Henry has abandoned him yeah. when he has broken his ankle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ankle. He thinks Henry has abandoned him. Yep. And he's like, oh, drat him. He's gone off with all the food and he's never coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then Henry comes back with the food and he says, Well, why did you leave me with no food? And then we said, I left the food. <laughs> and he doesn't even bother looking to, yeah. yeah, because he's so busy assuming that Henry yeah. is awful. But then there's also the point when. Henry, he assumes that Jean-Paul's going to be his friend. Yes. And then Jean-Paul starts getting on with Henry. That's right, And he gets really jealous of them both. So jealous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah, that, that I think is really clever as well. Yeah. I, I remember one of the very first times when I read a book and thought to myself, oh, oh, this person telling the story's not very nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it did come as a bit of a shock to me yes, when I was, you know, a young person reading books I for think, the first time. I think it's, yeah. yeah, I think it's really exciting when that happens. And it's yeah. really, it's doubly exciting that it's a kid because kind of, you don't realise until you until it happens, but you realise, you know, I realised in retrospect, like it, it kind of was one of the unwritten rules of kid fiction is that if a kid's, you know, if a book stars a kid, the kid's a goodie, just is. Mm. I mean, like if you think about, I mean, obviously I've read a lot of Roald Dahl because I'm, you know, I'm the age I am. So that yeah. was everywhere. And like, um, I mean, obviously, you could pick apart the motivations of them when you think about it as an adult. But as a kid, obviously, James is the good guy. Obviously, Charlie's the good guy. Obviously, you know, Matilda's the hero. Like, and they're uncomplicatedly good kids, right? Like in in abstract. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you 
think about George, maybe there's some issues there. Yes. Like, oh, let's yes. close and grab her. Like, I don't know. I, mean, I love that book, but dear Lord. Um, anyway, but yeah, I think, but it's, so it was very, yeah, it was very interesting to me. And it, actually, funny enough, thinking about Stephen King's It, because the reason that book was so seismic for you is the number of taboos it broke in a single book like pretty much all of them and maybe realize what you could do what you're allowed to do what fiction was permitted to do and it's not that's not just about the horror either um but thinking about it this kind of did a couple of those things earlier certainly for kids fiction yeah the idea that your hero could be actually not a hero could be kind of a bit of a bully and a bit of a you know a bit petty and a bit mean that was really powerful to me and it it's nice i mean not not that we're doing the whole thing but it is one of the things that's nice about the trilogy is watching him develop. He does, he does grow. Uh, mm. Thankfully, he does grow up a bit as, as the trilogy goes on. But the pettiness is interesting. The other thing that I remember as a kid, and this is really clever because I'm not sure I could have articulated it, but I remember the feeling. There's a really casual moment quite early on where they're talking about the vagrants, the people who get hurt by the cat, and will. I can't remember if it's Will or Will's father, but very casually presents the reader with this piece of information that it happens to approximately one in 10 people who go through the process. And I think I remember this incredible feeling of shock as a kid, but it was a double layer of shock. The first layer was like, oh, my God, everyone has to do this. and It drives one in 10 people insane. That's horrific. That's nightmarish. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone go through it? How? And then. The second wave of revelation behind it was like, and to the person telling me this story, that's no big deal. Mm. That's just life. That's just normal. Just how that's it is. just what it is. Like, and that really stuck with me. I mean, actually, that that stuck with me so much. That's something I'll still find creeping into my own fiction to this day, right? Mm. There's something so powerful about because that's about humanity's capacity to absorb the intolerable. Yes. Um yeah. And I think, yeah, it's an extraordinarily powerful thing. And to have something that 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 sophisticated mm. in such a very straightforward adventure narrative in so many ways. And of course, it's only 20 years after the ending of World War Two. Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. that kind of. That kind of feeling of like, how how do ordinary people? Yeah. Why don't why doesn't everybody just rebel against yeah. a totalitarian regime? Right. Surely people would not put up with that. Yeah. And I think that that, that asks a lot of questions, actually. Yeah. Because we all think that we would be the ones resisting yeah. totalitarianism. But actually, yeah. a lot of us probably wouldn't. Nope. Um, because and, and eventually life just goes on that's right for a lot of yeah. people and we're just you know we just wanting to survive um, i mean I, I don't want to bring anybody down too much here and this is getting but you know to fast forward to 2023 i mean mm. we're going to see this play out in the next 20 or yes, 30 years with climate change we are going to oh. see this play out and how badly and how apocalyptic that ends up being is still to play for but it's going to be bad it's going to be apocalyptic we are going to see this happen in real time you know, we're lucky us. Um, and I think, but I think I'm incredibly grateful to have been in a position at the age of whatever I was, maybe nine, maybe 10, to have this idea planted in my head, mm. you know, that young to be confronted with that idea, with that uncomfortable psychological truth, mm. you know. 
and that is the beauty yeah. with sort of speculative fiction. Yeah. Is it it does present us with really big ideas. Yeah. It's time for book two, everyone. And moving on from that <laughs> to Wild Spark. Yes. Um, by Vashti Hardy, which is the book that I suggested, and I will read the blurb. This is why I have to take my glasses off, because <laughs> I can't actually read with my very focals on. Very sad. In Medlock, machines don't come to life. Life comes to machines. Prue Hayward is on a mission, getting the ghost machines of Medlock to remember the people they used to be. She needs to find her brother, Francis. If she fails, her brother will stay dead. And if she succeeds, all of society may fall apart. And so Vashti Hardy, this I think this is her second book. The first one was a, a book called Brightstorm, which was um yeah, quite an amazing book about skyships and yeah, mm -hmm. steampunky things. Um what did you think about it? Um, I have far too many thoughts uh, about this particular <laughs> book, and I, I, I would like to, I would like to reserve some time later to talk about the ending because I yeah. actually struggled quite profoundly with the ending, and I'll, I'll get, I'd like to, to mm. unpick that. I'd really enjoy actually unpicking that with you at some point, sure, but, but before we get there, I think, um, I mean, firstly, I really enjoyed it, um. I enjoyed the I think the world building is incredible um I think about all the stuff we talked about with tripods and there's a lot of very efficient world building going on there but at the end of the day John Christopher has a massive advantage uh because mm. the world he's describing does functionally already exist effectively right yeah he's changed a couple of things but it's it's recognizably our earth it's our world this one no idea like it could it be an alternate reality could it be a different planet could it be could it be here in three thousand years or Ooh. well yeah it could be i don't know um but i love that i love how and i think the author does an incredible job with creating um i think the use of language in particular the way she creates these phrases to describe these things and the words themselves are the descriptors, so you know what they're talking about almost mm. instinctively, even though it's a concept you've never heard of before. That is incredibly sophisticated. That is incredibly difficult to do. And mm. it is the kind of thing that it is very easy to make jokes about because fantasy does it badly and sci-fi does it badly often enough. She does it, to me anyway, it was note perfect just yeah. extraordinary how time and time again she she deliver i mean i'm I'm sorry it's been a little while since i read it so i'm blanking on specific mm -hmm. phrases but you get a word or a phrase to describe it and you just be like oh, okay okay i get it i get what that is a gigantic you know, truck there a you go truck. perfect absolutely Which is like perfect. a massive train yeah 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 just so i loved all of that i, I really like the setup i love the whole so we were talking earlier about hero's journey in some ways this is a, a pretty classic hero's journey as well um but the the twist this has on the hero's journey early on that i really enjoyed my least favorite part of the hero's journey is the refusal of the call it drives me nuts yes, it drives me absolutely i'm just like come on man like this guy's just offered you the spidey suit 
put the spidey suit on. Like, of course you want to be spider. Or, but you know what I mean? Like, whatever it yeah. is, like, grab it. Like, you know, there's a TARDIS in your garden. Get in the TARDIS. What are you doing? Like, so, so I, what I love is how this actually averts the refusal of the call. She fabricates the call. Yeah, she, she pretends to be her dead brother. Mm. And yeah. To, to And I'm like, oh, yes. No, that, so I was like, I was invested from that right from the beginning. Um, I love the subversion of it. I love her. And I, there's a, I like it because it, it feels like it should be a morally ambiguous move, but it doesn't feel morally ambiguous at all. You, I was completely with her. I completely convinced she was doing the right thing. Yeah. And one of the things I particularly liked about that um, is that uh, the girl dressing up as her brother, mm. i.e. Mulan, has mm, been mm. a trope since forever yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and i do quite like there's there's been a couple of books recently that i've read where that hasn't been a thing right I really like that mm. i like that um girls can be adventurous yep without having to pretend to be boys i love yeah. that yeah oh, 100 anti-georgification thing yeah um i mean if you know, there's there's also the whole like I can understand why for a lot of young people um who are kind of coming to terms with their gender mm-hmm. that might not be the one that they um were assigned at birth. I can sure. understand why that would be a really validating thing. Yeah. Um yeah. but I also like I mean, like she's wearing dungarees. She works on a farm. Her family are farmers. Yeah. yeah, she wears dungarees. So it's no, there's no kind of like, oh, I've got to put on trousers and pretend to be a boy. I know, right? My dungarees. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah, it is. Um, and so she, all she does is she, her brother's called Francis. So yeah, takes on the name Francis. Yeah, and yeah. just changes the I to an E. Yeah. And that's great. That that no, I, yeah. really really well. Um, yeah, I thought it was super delightful. I mean, um, you reminded me. Sorry, no, go on, go. On. Go. No, you go. Yeah. I was just going to say you reminded me of something from that I wanted to. I, I didn't touch on with the tribes. The tribes is a very boysy story. That is one criticism mm-hmm. I will make of that book. It is a boy story. I don't. Th- I think there's like two female characters in it that have any lines at all. One of them mm-hmm. is Will's mum. The other is the the tragic love interests. And and boy, when that pays off in book two, you will want to throw something against the wall. Um, but um so i love i love everything you just said there. i think that's exactly right because she's she's a practical mechanic too she doesn't yes, work she on farm. she's fixing the robots um you know she's and it's implied she's certainly got i mean she well it's not implied she clearly actually has a prodigious talent and ability once she actually mm-hmm. gets the chance um so i i really like that kind of i think it's very clever to have her you know grasping for the brass the brass ring the big chance the big shot in a way that doesn't feel it feels dangerous but it doesn't feel wrong it doesn't feel that she mm. shouldn't be doing that but i love how because it what it feels to me is like she's doing what she should be allowed to do anyway mm. um but i like it because obviously in dramatic terms then what it does is set up a tension about we know from the beginning she's sort of standing on quicksand to a degree right yeah. there's an inherent danger in every day of being found out being discovered um, having to go home in shame. So yeah, I uh, yeah. So I yeah, absolutely superb setup. Really good. 
Um, I like the world building. And then there's this, I mean, talk about big themes, talk about big ideas. So, yes. so the central premise we've got here is they, in this society, they have machinery that resembles animals that through a, a process using a particular, I can't remember metal or crystal or combination of those. It's a, yeah. It's a, it's an element. Oh, it's an element. That's right. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, cap can capture the spirits of the departed and give them a second life via machinery. Uh, wow. So, okay. So there's a million interesting ways that could go a million questions you have as a reader at that point. There's also these really interesting wrinkles about how little they remember their previous life. Yeah. Um, their second lives tend not to last as long as their first only lives. Fifteen years. They get fifteen yeah. years. With yeah. Yeah. And we um, do see, like one of the, uh, one of the, um, it's one of the messengers, isn't it? One of the birds, the messenger, Luella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we see the end of her life, and it, it's yeah. very very sad. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, so that's that's really interesting as well. That idea of um, so a second life because that immediately. So as soon as I read that, I alarm bells started going off in my head because I started thinking about informed consent and i started yes. thinking about like which i think you're supposed to because yes. there's 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 a there's it doesn't go into it in a huge amount of detail but it's very clear that there are political movements in this world and they're not all in favor of this process yeah they there's don't an think anti it's a second life movement yeah yeah and isn't prue's mum yes, part of is. that yeah yes. um which is interesting and for me I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that probably says quite a lot about my politics. I wasn't super impressed with the the concepts of the anti-Second Life movement per se, but I was very concerned with the rights of the Second Lifers and yeah. the fact that they did seem to be being treated as not quite servants, but not quite equal either. Mm. Um, we learn in the story that for the first time, a second lifer has been allowed to join the academy, right? So that's a big yeah. deal. So you do get a sense of like, I mean, obviously there's there's parallels there with segregation of various. So it's not a one to one parallel, but there's echoes of it, and I, that has to be deliberate. So there's a feeling of a world where positive change is starting to happen, but there's clearly still a lot of prejudice. There's clearly still a lot to overcome, yeah. and and I, it's uh, one of the things I found really interesting was. I, I remember, like, as I was reading it through, thinking, like, I mean, firstly, these are massive concepts. And secondly, this could get fantastically dark very, very quickly. It would take very little indeed to tip this over into something absolutely brilliantly horrific, like horrific in the like conceptually horrific. I mean, and it's very interesting to me that that that, that the author elects not to do that. And that's not that's not a criticism. People write the kind of stories they want to write. That's fine. It's just. Obviously, I think probably just because of my horror background and horror brain these days, it, I kept looking at this thinking like, you, this could have, it's a great, it's very, very good. What it is, is very good. It could also have equally as well been an amazing horror novel, like a really spectacular. Oh, I agree. And um, I do wonder, yeah. because it's it's very much a middle grade book. Mm -hmm. It's, it's I would say, readership of 8 to 12, 13. Mm. And there are some words in this book which ring don't ring quite true there are words mm. where she's had there are points in the book where i thought ah oh, but what she's meaning is and now of course my mm. brain has completely lost <laughs> yeah, <words>. yeah. <laughs> but that 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 i wonder had 
whether Vashti Hardy agent or editor mm-hmm. persuaded her to step back a little bit. Yeah. Because I agree with you. I think the age these characters are. Yeah. Or, you know, how I read them to be. I mean, we don't know exactly how old no. they are, but I read them as being prepubescent. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Being 12. Yeah, I cusping pubescent, right? Like yeah, they're just, yeah, just pre yeah, yeah I, I think not, so. Not fully there. Yeah. There's no love interest no. at all, which is, you know, Good. Yeah, that's refreshing. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, all right with that. <laughs> but yeah, but then there's there is these massive ethical issues yeah. around, as you say, consent, yeah, uh death, yeah. grief, yeah, you know wanting to bring she wants to bring her brother back yeah but is that the right thing to do yeah you know if if she brings her brother back he's not going to remember her yeah he's not going to even be called francis anymore how is she going to know so there's all of these all of these massive issues and of course they are they're servants you know that yeah they don't have respect you know, the, the second lifers, they don't have respect yeah. as autonomous individuals. A job yeah. is given to them. And we find yeah. that out, out quite early on with the delightful librarian bear. Who yes. I adore. <laughs> yeah. um, that, you know, he's not really great at being a librarian because he's a bit loud and a yeah. bit <laughs> clumsy and big, too big <laughs> really for the library. But he really loves it. So let's yeah. get on with it. And that feels a bit patronising. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And mm. and they. what I also really like is the character of Edwin, the second lifer who becomes an apprentice. Yes. He's yes. actually um, Prue hurts his feelings yes. quite a lot. She doesn't mean to. Yeah, yeah. She does. Yeah. And, and there's also the mean girl, Cora. Yes. Who was... I kind of found her a bit too obvious, really. But <laughs> I mean, the thing I did like... Draco. <laughs> yeah, although the thing I did like about Cora is I like when you meet her parents and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I like that. I see now. And that whole thing about, like, actually, she just wants to sing, but she can't sing because she's yeah. got to be an apprentice because they're all, you know... Okay, okay. And then it comes into focus. I thought that was good because I agree with you, like, early doors, I'm looking at thinking, like, okay... All right, yeah. There's got to be a there's got to be an oppositional character. There's got to be a kind of you know villain, mean girl, whatever, like kid. But I I I think I think I I really appreciate how the author went out of a way to give her that interiority, give her that backstory that made sense of where she was, and it yeah. felt very very psychologically real at that point. It really did. Yes, and she's um, in huge competition with her own brother. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. The other thing I wanted to pick up on, though, that you were talking about Prue's plan, one of the things that I find that I really liked about Prue's quest was, yeah, Prue does want to bring her brother back, but she also, she wants to bring him all the way back. She wants to bring his memory back. So she's working surreptitiously throughout on a machine or ways to improve the process of bringing them back so that more memories will be unlocked. Um research that she is not allowed to do this is forbidden knowledge so that's again that's like why is that forbidden knowledge that's really weird like why would you not want to do that um and obviously again it's a way to 
let the reader in on how bright she is that she's starting to make these intuitive leaps figure out ways to do it i think i was so impressed with how the author managed to create this sense of um uh uh science ishness right because mm. none of this is real none of these terms are real but the yeah. way the way the author lets prue describe the process mm. just feels real enough doesn't it you know what i mean like, yeah and yeah again until you maybe until you've read it done badly it's hard to appreciate how difficult it is to pull something like that off that actually mm. requires an incredible amount of talent as a writer yeah because it it's just out there enough but not too out there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, as you know, as an adult who's an experienced reader, I'm reading it in kind of the veins of like, I'm not a fan of steampunk. Right. Okay. I, I, I don't. Sure. There's some steampunk that's done very, very well. Sure. It's done some steampunk that I think, oh, God. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is on um, the vein, it's not steampunk. No. It's ghost punk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the way it's described, you can imagine because of the I think it's is about the scientific process. Yeah. That kind of like, you know, we see her working it out. Yes. We see her doing the research. Yeah. We yeah, we we know that there's aspects of forbidden knowledge that she's yeah. getting in there with which is you know it's it's a trope but it's a trope done really well yeah i agree um and also that she's got her friends who can't be involved in this yeah yeah and i yeah. really like that as well it's not like the kind of us three against the world it's it's her doing her yeah. thing that eventually she's found out and she has to confess and her friends are not like well we're gonna help you then her friends are like don't do it <laughs> like what it's are a you really doing bad idea yeah 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 no that's not and, and as you say i mean that the, yeah it, the, it, it it's one of the interesting things the books does really as well is when it leans into tropes and when it finds ways to subvert them and i think it does it does both um you know we, yeah we talk and again that that echoes what we were talking about before with the mean girl right but that's that's a very serious yeah. trope but like a very common trope sorry but then you know, there's enough character development within it, both that it makes sense and actually means that you can start to do interesting things with that character in the last yeah. sort of third to quarter of the book, which she does, which is again really, really good. Um, and yeah, you're right. I like, I love that whole, but I, I don't know. I have a real, I mean, I have a real kind of affinity for stories about about this, about kids going off and trying to figure stuff out like this. I kind of, and that kind of, I mean, I am a sucker for bright kids. I really liked, I mean, I, oh, maybe we should do this one at some point. I, I've got a lot to say, but Ender's Game was a massive book for me as a child. Now, mm-hmm. hugely, hugely aware of the deep problems with it as an adult. I mean, I reread it as an adult and I was kind of horrified, mm-hmm. in all honesty, like genuinely horrified. But there are elements of brilliance in Ender's Game. And one of the elements of brilliance is it's about a bright, bullied child at its core. That's actually what the story's about. And yeah. that stuff is written in a very real, very powerful, in a way that, you know as a as a bullied young child myself was incredibly resonant mm. um and that's also part of the problem with some of the book but but it's it's an important part of it and i think um i again i just really appreciated how well that stuff was done with prue prue's motives are pure they are good you know they are noble um but she's taking an awful lot of risks 
and she's putting herself in an awful lot of danger and ultimately ends up i mean also endangering her friends right there's the moment Mm -hmm. when she does um because you reach a point with all knowledge right where you can't you, you can't go you have to go beyond theory you have to try sorry i just saw oppenheimer a week ago so that's in my head (laughs) but there is that moment right where she's like well i think i figured out how to bring back more memories but i'm i've only got one way to test this i need to test this on a willing subject right and that is you know what's all about ethics right there's a whole kind of thing there about like again informed consent what does it even mean i might be able to bring back memories or you might disappear completely you might die yeah you might die (laughs) yeah i'll give it a go um yeah. yeah wowzer and um so like let, let's let's say it right now spoilers mm-hmm. yes so you said that you there were issues for you with the ending yeah and it's that so... to do do you think with the fact that children's the difference between children's books young adult books and books for adults is that there has to be an element or there should be authors are encouraged to have mm. like a last minute reprieve uh, a happy ending if not a happy ending then a resolution that there isn't always in books for adults because this could end terribly so the problem i have with it is there is enough there is enough sense that the second lifers are in this position of servitude and mm. service. There are enough echoes with uncomfortable, unpleasant history of our mm. own species, especially over the last sort of couple of centuries, that I'm profoundly uncomfortable with any narrative really that depicts what we might call a slave revolt as yeah. a bad thing. I just that inherently sticks in the craw for me, I'm afraid. Um, and I felt and, and they're not slaves. They are servants. And it's clear that this society is moving towards a more accepting, tolerant, blah, blah, blah. Like I get it's not a one to one comparison, um, but it's still for me when I found out what was going on, it was two things. One, it was for me the trope of the inevitable trope that the revolutionary is always uh, blood soaked monomaniacal lunatic mm-hmm. who's really just going to be another dictator that just infuriates me to no end mm-hmm. uh, and, and that is that's not this is not this book's fault every single piece of fiction like it's mm-hmm. it, it's incredibly rare you'll see anything other than that in fiction mm-hmm. so this is not about i mean i keep let's not go on the tangent but the, the recent planet of the apes trilogy which is a, a, astonishing piece of work in so many ways but the the debate in the second movie between kobo the 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 ape who was tortured a lot and caesar yes. who was treated very well initially at least by his humans and the difference in their philosophies and outlook i mean it's 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 x and king in some ways i guess but 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 there's there's other resonances there as well. I was always kind of on Kobo's side. I was always kind of like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, no, just, just, just finish him just off while you get the chance, mate. Like, just, just, because, yeah. like, like, what do you owe him? Like, really? And what, what have they ever shown you? But, but, uh, but brutality. So I think I struggled with that, and I also actually though what I found even more upsetting was the kind of denouement where Prue's in the office and the guys all like, yeah, it's fine. You didn't mean to lead the revolution. You did the right thing and you turn it in. But now we're just we're just going to stop with this research, right? We're not just going to do it anymore. And she and, and it's the thing where she says she couldn't 
I can't remember the exact word, but I feel like she almost says to herself, she couldn't articulate why, but she felt it was the right thing to do. And I was just like, what is that? What does that even mean? Like, yeah. you, oh, that really bothered me. It really bothered me. Because it's like, yeah. it was almost, to me, what it felt like it was saying was that, um, like, progressive liberalism is the natural order of things. And if we just allow things to change incrementally, they will magically change incrementally and gradually everything will get slowly better. But if you try and make them get better too quickly, you know, and, and the only problem I've got with that is that the entire history of our species suggests that's actually not how change ever yeah. happens. Have Sorry. You, I, it, uh, no, no, no. I agree I'm with you. really passionate about this. No, <laughs> I agree. Because the other thing I felt a little bit uncomfortable was it was moving very much towards white saviour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm glad it didn't do that. Yep. Actually. Yeah. Um, but yes. Um, have you ever read any Jonathan Stroud? No. I do know the name, but I don't think I've read any. He oh, he's brilliant. He wrote okay. the um oh now my brain has got Lockwood and Co. Oh yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Outrageously has not been option for a second series, despite right. it. Being- an absolutely brilliant work. Yeah, no, I I, I do know that. I watched that. Juvenile killer, yeah. horror. Yeah. Yes, wonderful stuff. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So the the first trilogy he wrote that I, I would say the the books that he was first known for um, are the Bartimaeus trilogy or the Bartimaeus right. sequence, um, where the third book is an incredible piece of work. It is, yeah, again, it's 9 to 14, mm. like 13. And there, the ending of it is A Slave's Revolt. Right. And it's incredible, incredibly mm. well done. And uh, it's kind of the anti-Harry Potter. Right, okay. This is why I really like it. Yes. Um. But, yeah, I mean, his... It's it's a brilliant piece of work, but very well done, very cleverly right. done. Yeah. But again, I feel it's I feel it's maybe written for a slightly little bit older audience. Mm. And mm. I can understand why um Bashley Hardy didn't go full on yeah, you know, revolution. Yeah um, in this book because also I think I mean another thing I'd really like to read is quite often young adult fictional, yeah, young adult fiction probably. Mm. It does end up with a revolution, but mm. you kind of like, well, yeah, but now the reparations got to start happening. Yeah, Where's yeah. the re- rebuilding of society? Mm. Where is the yeah. move towards yeah. greater representation? Yeah, you know, which system are we setting up after this? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we don't tend to see that in no. young adult fiction. I'm no, not, that's true. I'm not sure how... Well, probably it could be done. I'd like to read it. And if any I, anyone knows of, of the uh, post-apocalyptic uh, young adult novel, which is based around rebuilding of society, I'd like to read it. I, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm genuinely not trying to book myself in here for repeat visits, but it is interesting. No, <laughs> it's interesting how the Tripods trilogy, the very very last chapter of the final book, does begin to gesture at that in a really interesting way that's all it does and it is the end of the story Mm. but it does at least start to think about it and will starts to think about it and it's really i love it it's one of the things i really love about the trilogy i don't i don't like 
I don't like how it plays out in the story, but I appreciate it, if you see what I mean. Mm, yeah. Um, I would like to have seen it play out a different way, but that's because I'm kind of a utopian thinker. Um, but I acknowledge I acknowledge the psychological reality of what John Christopher posits might happen, and I, I, I begrudgingly admit that mm. it is certainly one of the possibilities that we would have to worry about. Um, and and Will's response to it is particularly powerful. I mean, I love that. It's really, Will, in, literally in the last line of the book, suddenly becomes a hero. Finally, actually becomes a hero. It's beautiful, I think. Um, um, but yeah, I think... Um, the yeah, I I understand. I mean, I don't know. I just I just feel throughout the throughout the story, it, it's this novel. It's wrestling with these absolutely gigantic ideas, these gigantic themes, but it it almost seems it almost seems to me to me to be committed to a kind of both sides have valid points centrism mm. in a way. It's more interested in presenting the argument than it is in coming down on the side. And again, yeah. that, that's a valid decision um just frustrating with my personal politics because i have opinions Ooh. with a big capital o and i would rather see less ambiguity on some of the stuff that it's talking yeah about, I yeah i think there's that either you've got to go with full-on ambiguity yeah in that like here's an ending point we don't know what's going to happen next yes it could go either ways yeah or an actual definitive revolution revolu no i don't mean revolution resolution resolution yeah revolution i'm not sure but <laughs> it yeah could be both in this particular case right yes yes exactly <laughs> yeah but um yeah i mean i i i think in terms it's i've not actually read another book with these right. ideas in it either no amazing yeah, yeah absolutely i think as a, as you said i think the world building is incredible yeah and yeah it, it's wonderful to read a book for children that makes you think so much yeah and and really posits um a, a proper dilemma yes that you you know you can totally understand what Prue's going through yeah why she's thinking the way she is but on the other hand no don't do that mm -hmm. um and yeah and shenanigans ensue. I also think, as you say that, it makes me realise so much of my my disquiet comes from my own positionality when it comes to my feelings about authority and rules, of course. Mm. Because I see Prue breaking rule after rule after rule. And to me, I'm just inherently like fine with that. Because yeah. to me, like rules are stupid. Like Unless you could explain to me why the rule matters, then it, mm. it doesn't exist. It's like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, mm. and And so, but I imagine like, for people who aren't like me, <laughs> there probably is more of a kind of, for Prue's journey, there probably is more anxiety. There probably is more, well, you know, these rules probably actually exist for a reason. Maybe we shouldn't be doing all that. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. I, th I think also, like, for a lot of children, the structure of rules is very yeah. important. It keeps you safe. It keeps sure. them safe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. And I think that there's a lot in this, but I think if I'd been reading this, when I was nine or 10, where a lot of things in my life were not very stable. Right. I think um, I would have felt very anxious reading it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, but, that, that yeah. makes sense. And it is um, such a beautiful book. Yes, it is. Shiny. Yes. Yay. Yeah. I like shiny books. And I'm going to be passing this on to my oldest niece, and I think she will love it. So. Yeah. 
No, I'm I'm going to drop it over to Kilo for sure, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how she gets on with it as oh, well. Oh, I'd love to know what she thinks of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping she'll pick it up. So um, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. She doesn't always get on that well with fantasy. She struggles a little bit sometimes with fantasy. Although I finally got her on the Discworld, so maybe we've cracked it now. Hey. Could, hopefully, Sir Terry will be the gateway drug, and we'll get her into some fantasy. Yeah. Now. What What's she read so far? Oh, literally the first, oh, she's on, well, she's doing them in order. So she's, she's just made it to, she's reading equal rights. Um, She started with Mort actually, but then she went back to the beginning. So she's done Color oh, right. of Magic, like Fantastic. Went back to like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Color yeah. of Magic? Yes. Yes. You didn't hate it? Didn't hate it. No, didn't hate it at all. Wow. Um, my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but. I mean, it's funny because we we read it. To, well, actually, we did it. Um, we're doing a we're doing a little occasional podcast on my Patreon at the moment, me and her, where we talk about them as we oh, read them. Yeah. So, well, I say we do it. We've we've only done two episodes. We did it. So she read the Johnny Maxwell trilogy first. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Oh, I especially the first one. I mean, all three are very very good, but the first one for me is actually kind of a masterpiece. It's one of those books that I wish mm. was read a lot more widely because I think it's a genuine. It's a genuine piece of actual brilliance is only you can say yeah, mankind. I think it just shows you he was such an amazing author. Yeah, yeah. In that the books that he writes for young people are as complex yeah. as the books he wrote for adults. My favourite book, uh, my favourite Terry Pratchett book of all time mm. is The Amazing Morris and His Educated Rodents. No, oh, okay. okay. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, so funny, but also that that whole thing of like, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. So on the surface, it's a really funny book about a talking cat. Right. Really, really funny. Yeah. And yeah. Brilliant jokes in there. Yeah. Um, you know the names of the rats and right all of that kind of stuff and uh, Morris um mysteriously uh gains knowledge and the ability to talk and read after dinner um which we assume is dinner of a rat that right okay okay on the on the the uh, waste pile which has got lots of random magic in it out right, of the okay. unseen university so uh, okay, okay funny yeah, yeah then there's also the layer of you know the um fairy tale Mm-hmm. Because it's also based on the Pied Piper of Hamelin. Right, okay, sure. And there's a massive scam involved in that. Mm. There's also, there's Militia, who is uh, uh, the mayor's daughter of of um, the town where they all end up in, who believes in fairy tales too much. And there's a brilliant description of her walking down a road, being inconspicuous, Right, it's being so inconspicuous that everybody's looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's it's oh. funny, it's yeah. brilliant, but there's yeah. also, of course, a really nasty bit. There's a nasty right. undercurrent, yeah. and you know, danger and mm. you know, bad Menace. stuff going on. Yeah, which yeah. you know is present in all of, and there's injustice basically going on. Yes. That, yeah, yeah. that needs to be put right and and i just love it i yeah. think it's wonderful it's the only book he ever won an award for oh oh that's wonderful no i i need medal for it that's yeah 
Okay. Well, it's on the list. I mean, I, I'm hoping we're going to do them all. I really do over the next few years. I'm really hoping mm. we'll just get through them because it, it'll be amazing for me. I mean, I I stopped reading Discworld's probably around the truth, maybe. So I've got the last, I've still got a few years of reading of the, oh, the last run. Yeah. yeah and, and I know there's some great stuff in there. I'm looking for it. It wasn't any particular reason I stopped. It was just, well, I, you know, I, I, I it's tend just to hyper- a lot of them. <laughs> it is a lot, but also I tend to hyperfixate on genres for a while. So I think I went through a big Pratchett phase. And then yeah. I just snapped into something. Might have been crime fiction, or it might have been horror. Stuff, but I just snapped into something else for a while. That's all. Mm. Um, and didn't go back yet. But I'm. I will. Uh, and obviously, this is the perfect impetus to do it because it's you know it's really with my daughter, and she's. Yeah. I love. I love seeing her getting to great, and I can't wait to see what she's going to make of equal rights. You know. Yes. I'm really genuinely it's, fascinated. It's one of my favorites. It's not perfect. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. Totally one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think had he been writing it maybe in the last 10 years, I think right. it would have changed. Sure. There's some lot. rough edges that would have gotten knocked off, to put mm, it well. But I think but... the gender stuff, yeah, because yeah. the fact that um, Esk is the only, only one to yeah. come to the university, I think he would have changed that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, Although, yeah, although someone does have to be the first, right? I mean, that's the thing when you're talking about breaking taboos and... Yeah, but I think we would have seen more. Okay. Yeah, no, I yeah. see what you mean. Yeah, I yeah. Think there would have been sense. visibly more woman yeah. wizards. And, Going forward, um, yeah. Yeah, I obviously haven't read um, The Shepherd's Crown, which is devastating. That's my cat. Stop being annoying. Um, <laughs> uh, it the, the Shepherd's Crown is... Yeah, is that is that Granny is that Granny Weatherwax's final outing, right? Final yeah. outing, of Granny Weatherwax. Yeah, I'm in no hurry. I will read it, but I'm in no hurry to read. Yeah, that there, there's I love the her so much. <laughs> ever male witch. Oh, okay, okay, that's good. In that book, yeah, that's good. Mm. Okay, well, that's 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 one to look forward to. I've never reread it. I've read it once. It's right. on myself. I yeah. can't. Get, I can't look at it. Right. I don't want to read it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but are you but glad you've read it. read it once, right? I mean, you are glad you read it, yeah. I am glad I read it, yeah. Um, yeah, say, saying goodbye to Granny was... I, I, I cried real tears. I don't want to do that. I know. <laughs> it's very sad. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway. Thank it, you that's, so that's much. Right. It's been delightful to chat to you. Yeah, no, um, it's it's so good to talk to you. I, I, there was just, I'm really sorry. There's one more anecdote. I'll be, I'll be very quick. It, go I for it, go for it. So um, I did actually end up it's only in the last year that I've stopped doing bedtime stories. I was reading every night to kiddo yeah. up to the age of 12, which was a real joy. Um, obviously she's now reading Stephen King by herself, which is also as it should be. Um, <laughs> but I did, I did read the tripods to her when she was about nine. Oh, wow. But when I did it, I'd read it myself on the way through first. And I, I was a bit kind of, I was a bit kind of down on the lack of female representation in the story. So I sat down with her and, said okay look i'd like to read you this story um and this is what it's about i said in the original version of the story all the characters in it basically are male i said if you don't mind what i'd like to do is make will a female character so you can pick her name i will not change anything other than that and i will read you the story but you can have it with a female lead instead of a male and she went with that so I did read her the Tripods trilogy, but I read it to her with a female lead rather than male and changed nothing. And it, nothing else, of course, needed changing. No. The story works 100%. Um, 
but I was really, yeah, I was glad to do that because I really wanted her to enjoy the story and I really wanted her to connect with it. And I know she would have done anyway, but it, it, it felt like, I don't know, it just felt like the right thing to do for that particular story, especially, I think because it's interesting, Tripod's trilogy, in some ways, it's quite small C conservative. Um, yes. But it's, but it's but it's that kind of one nation conservatism that was around in the 60s and remembered the horrors of the 30s and 40s. Yeah. So it was also anti-fascist. Yes. Which, I mean, how much do we long for the days of right-wingers that were also anti-fascist? Like, let's, can we bring them back, please? Because I miss please. those guys. Can we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think for me, the message, the central message of the tripods is about resistance. It is. It's about it's about resistance and it's about the risks you must take to remain free under certain circumstances. It was really important to me that she see that not as a gendered thing. You know, it just that yeah. mattered to me. It's um, anti-conformity. Yeah. Which yeah. was very much a feature of a lot of books that I read in, right. around that era that had been written around that era so when I mm. was you know when I was in about like 1980 or so on when I was reading books like this that was important yeah you know you could read like you say a lot of them were small c conservative yeah but very against um yeah against conformity yeah well against an tyranny right maybe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's really important. Yeah, I think so. But it's interesting thinking about the two works side by side, isn't it? And how mm. different, you know, like I think the gender politics of tripods is much, much less good than Wild Side. The gender politics of Wild Side is, you know, kind of excellent, really, by comparison and, and, and on its own terms. And then, but then when you look at the wider picture stuff, for me, actually, ultimately, the the message for the tripods of, of you know, in the grand sweep is perhaps... Mm you know, is stronger and for me more appropriate than the kind of the, the muddiness. And that's interesting because I normally prefer ambiguity, <laughs> but somehow like the, the, the way it plays out at the end with Wildspark. Anyway, that's just, I don't know. That's just very interesting to me how the, the different politics play out across the, the two yeah. stories. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So where can listeners find you online, Kit? Oh, blimey. Um, okay. So I, uh, okay. So, if you have enjoyed what you listen to and you want to hear more podcasts, um, I have a podcast feed. It's called Watching Robocop with Kit Power. It appears on most podcast catchers. Mm. Uh, it used to be a monthly podcast where I sat down and watched the movie Robocop with a friend, hence the name. Um, <laughs> but um, I haven't done that in a while. But what I am now putting out on there is a series called What the Hell is Wrong With Us, where my friend George Daniel Lee and I talk about childhood influences that shaped us. We're both horror authors. So we talk about the works that we encountered often as young people, although occasionally we'll dip into something contemporary that we both enjoyed. Recent episodes uh, include discussions of the, the Ray Fiennes movie, The Menu. Um, but also um, we we've talked about uh, music, like albums we really enjoy, Clive Barker's Weave World, um, all kinds of good stuff. So, you know, if you're interested in that kind of, you know, potted history. Oh, Poppy Z. Bright's Exquisite Corpse. We did a really good episode on that. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of con this kind of conversation, but, you know, and talking about childhood influences, that's now going out on the Watching Robocop feed. That's also the place where you can find my brand new podcast where I'm going to do something completely different, talking about music with my dear friend James Slater-Murphy. We are going through the entire Bruce Springsteen 
back catalogue of albums and some of the live releases as well. That's going to be a 30 episode series. Oh, brilliant. Uh, we, recorded, we recorded the pilot on the album Wrecking Ball um, because we both absolutely adore it, which is quite a recent album of his, but we've now gone back. We'll be recording the Asbury Park episode in the next couple of weeks. And uh, oh. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be doing that because I, as much as I love literature, I love music the same amount. It's been an integral part of my life and I haven't written about it anywhere near as much or talked about it anywhere near as much. James is the perfect conversationalist for me. Oh, um, it's I'll look delight. out for that and I will Thank put you, it yeah. in the show notes. Thank yeah. you. That's brilliant. I'm really thrilled. Um, if you uh, if you like my nonfiction work, most of it's published on Ginger Nuts of Horror. So just go to the website there. You can yeah. name search me and find my articles there. If you're interested in buying any of my books, including My Life in Horrors, Volume 1 and the nominated uh the bfs nominated uh volume two of my life in horror you know just go to amazon you can look them up there and if you want the ebooks buy them from amazon if you do want a physical copy please take the isbn number to your local bookshop if you're lucky enough to have one or indeed your local library that would be wonderful i cannot tell you how much it thrills me when i see that people are borrowing my books in the library yes. all of my titles fiction and non-fiction are, have isbn numbers and can be gotten in those ways fill your boots and finally if you were really really interested in hearing more from me on a regular basis uh patreon.com forward slash kit power a dollar a month will get you something new from me every single week sometimes some weeks it's a podcast some weeks it'll be a book review piece of non-fiction or a short story or an excerpt from the longer piece of fiction i'm working on amazing one dollar a month every week. thank you yay oh that's brilliant Thank you for listening to episode 36 of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on, I'm not calling it anything else but Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> no, I refuse. At Fantasy Book Swap. Oh, no, it's not. It's Fantasy Swap. Sorry. Uh, on <laughs> Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap or email fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Please do rate and review if you can because it helps to satisfy my vanity. Thank you for, to Steve Vapor Trails for production assistance, for Danny for the idents that are new this week, and to Jack Sedler Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye! Bye! Is. What's my favourite book? Everything. My stepmother likes reading books. Oh.